Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 11, season 5 of this spiritual fix. Today, we are talking about sacred places in part three of our four part series on places. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How are you? I'm good. I'm at your house. You are at my house. You can hear the birds in the background. Yeah, it sounds really beautiful. Yeah. And it's so nice to have you here. Thank you for coming to... I went into full description of my dream this morning with Anna, but I just wanted to like quickly mention it because I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah. There's a song going around TikTok right now by Paloma Paris called Labor. Do you remember some of the things... I've like purposely got the song out of my head, but it's basically all day, every day, mother made, um, nymph, then a virgin... All day, every day, therapist, mother maid, nymph, then a virgin, nurse, and a servant, just an appendage, live to attend him so that he never lifts a finger, 24-7 baby machine so he can live out his picket fence dreams. It's not an act of love if you make her, you make me do too much labor. All day, every day. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to try and get it out of my head now because last night I had a dream in which that song was playing in the background the whole time. And it was like a very classic anxiety dream for me. There was a late flight. You know, there was a flight that I had to get to. There was a bunch of luggage that I couldn't account for and hadn't been packed. But then it was interesting because my husband came into it and he was doing the things that I struggle with with him, right? Where he wasn't like engaging in my anxiety stress, right? Which is, you know, one of his superpowers, honestly, is his Mm -hmm. ability to not engage in my anxiety. But I was asking him to do stuff and he wasn't doing it. And the whole time the song was playing in the background. And I think I got an insight about this song, which is that with so many songs and music, like music is one of the main ways that I feel like we can travel around the collective unconscious, right? It's one of the ways that we can that we can go and navigate to, you know, what Robbie and what we've referred to as morphogenic fields, like fields of energy that sit inside our the collective unconscious 
and kind of accumulate unprocessed and processed pain things along those lines. And I feel like this song pulls directly from the 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 collective unconscious of women suffering and also hatred of men. So I just thought it was really interesting that. I oh, had I thought it was him. hatred of women. So I would. I, so I think that I feel like the injustice as well. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe a shift would be the injustice as a result of misogyny, right? right. And thinking of women as less than. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. So it's not directly misogyny. It's kind of a side morphogenic field of the suffering that is a result of misogyny and being thought of as less than. So I just wanted to say, like, just so everybody knows, songs are incredibly powerful. And if you find that you have a song stuck in your head, especially I'm one of these people who if I have a song stuck in my head, I have to listen to it because it's my subconscious trying to tell me the theme that's going on right now with me or the part that's ruling me. That if you start to like have an issue with your partner and then you listen to a song similar to this it may be that you've navigated to that collective unconscious and you're pulling from not just your own lived experience but other people's own lived experience which is the most important part of this which is like the collective unconscious is not all your stuff right so you could start to feel massive injustice about something that's happening that actually is like a a dollar reaction to a 10 cent stimulant And that's where... So you're saying that because of this song and you're tapping into the collective unconscious, you're extra mad at your husband, but actually he does the majority of the childcare and the cooking and things like that around the house. Exactly. So you're like projecting unconscious stuff onto him where he's actually pretty innocent. Exactly. Because I'm basically pulling from the collective unconscious. Because you're listening to that song. Kind of. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you, Anna. I love Anna. She's such a wonderful translator. Of <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. That's just something that came up last night when I was dreaming. Yeah. It's a good song, though. I think it's a really good song for being able to channel that. I think you can almost use it as a shadow work process. You can use the song itself and the feelings that it brings up as access to parts inside of you that may be connected to this space. So yeah. What are we talking about today, Anna? We have to do our prelude. We're going to do our prelude here. I'm going to talk Oh, about... that wasn't the prelude. It wasn't the prelude. <laughs> We're going to talk about grounding tech. We're going to talk about sacred spaces today. This is our third episode on a four-part series on places. So we started with cleaning and organizing, and then we did one on feng shui, feng shui. And now we're doing one on sacred spaces. And then next episode, you're leading, it's going to be on... The medicine of place. Medicine of place. So today we're talking about sacred spaces, places that kind of invoke in you something from the beyond. So that's what we're talking about today. And first, you're going to talk about grounding tech. Yeah. I want to talk about grounding tech. Earthing in particular, because I feel like there's a quick distinction that I want to make because there's a lot of talk about grounding and earthing right now in a lot of the fields that, in in a lot of the niches that I'm sitting in right now. Maybe, have you seen it or is it just me? Must be just you. But I I did have a crazy thing happen to me with my necklace, my earthing necklace. Oh yeah. So I have, let me tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had a grounding earthing necklace that my friend Lindsay had, I'm like, 10 or 15 years ago, when I first met her, she's wearing this beautiful necklace. It looked like a mezuzah. And inside it was some sort of grounding elements that kind of keep your vibration close to the magnetic resonance of the earth. And the idea is that it protects you from EMF. Okay. 
I don't know, that's maybe controversial, but that was like the concept. And I loved it. I just loved it because I was really scared of EMFs at that time. Yeah. So I got the necklace. I loved it. It was one of those necklaces I wore every day. And then I lost it when I moved to my new house. And then literally as we're preparing for this episode, eight years later, I'm making my bed and I find this weird area of my mattress, like the mattress support where the necklace fell in there and it doesn't make any sense because we've like flipped the mattress a few times we've gotten a new mattress and I somehow always overlooked that my grounding necklace was in there but I found it so I'm back to wearing it perfect timing for this week that's amazing and then you left it at the top of the hill she's staying in the RV that is like our Airbnb stay at the top of the hill (laughs) I'll go get it today though no you will you will but I just thought it was like I was like "Hmm." but it reminded me of my friend Michelle's necklace story should I tell that one yeah does it yeah it wants to it wants to be told it's such an amazing story okay so my friend michelle has this beautiful necklace that she always wears it's a turquoise necklace and she went out to dinner with her dad and her stepmom and somewhere they went to like a bar a restaurant and the and her parents home and somewhere she left the house wearing it somewhere between the two restaurants and the in their house, she lost the necklace and she yeah. doesn't know where it was. She was like really upset about it because it's her prize necklace. So she wrote a post on Facebook saying like, if anyone frequents these restaurants or is in the parking lot or whatever, anyone finds this necklace, please let me know. And she also had called the restaurants. Well, like fast forward a week, her ex-boyfriend, who she doesn't see that often. But so that, who gave her the necklace. But he gave her the necklace to begin with, like, you know, 20 years before said, you'll never believe it, Michelle. I'm lying in bed. I feel something like prickly on my back, like hard on my back in the bed. And he rolls over and her necklace, her missing necklace showed up in his bed. Just fucking dumbfound. Like, I'm just like in yeah, awe of Yeah, so he's story. like, I have your necklace. I mean, if there was like a... You said that that kind of stuff may happen to him. So that stuff happens to him a lot. He's the common denominator in that story because he's a lot of stories like that. But he just, I think he's like, he opens portals and stuff without knowing how he's doing it. That's my theory. That is incredible. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with grounding tech and more with <laughs> necklaces, but I fucking love that story. Thank you for telling me. It's about it. sacred spaces, right? He it guess is. he makes them. He makes them. He makes portals, yeah. So uh, the kind of distinctions I want to make, there is spiritual grounding, which is a practice that basically energetically connects you with yourself, your values, and your vision. So the idea being that like when you're practicing you may put an umbilical cord down almost like the tail of a monkey that comes out the your root chakra and it goes all the way down in the ground and then it like creates roots there's so many different ways to ground spiritually that's one of them another one is you can use it in your feet basically you can imagine your feet forming roots and grounding and the idea the practice is that it allows you to be present to organize your thoughts and grow in a way that is in alignment with your vision It's another way of kind of trying to say embodying, you know, in all of your bodies, right? So that you're kind of like, okay, I got my, my vision. So my mental is, is, is aligned. I'm in my body. So I'm feeling how it feels and I'm using the earth's energies to help me like kind of move my energetic system. And when you're not grounded, you may feel scatterbrained, overwhelmed. You may feel like there aren't enough hours in the day that maybe you're people pleasing a lot. Like you could feel a lot of anxiety, stress, chaos, easily distracted, powerless space and connected to your body and to your life. Like that's what it can feel like when you're not grounded. That is separate than what I'm talking about, which is physical grounding or otherwise called earthing. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so earthing is the process of creating a physical circuit between your body and the earth circuit. So imagine that the earth, and it is, is basically a giant magnetic field and your biofield, which is also an electromagnetic field that's generated by your heart and by your brain, but majority by your heart, is interacting with that electromagnetic field all the time. And just like anything in your house, you have, for people who are in America, you have three prongs. I think most people have three prongs. Two of those prongs are the positive and negative that allow a circuit to form that provides electricity to the system. And that third prong is for grounding into the ground. Mm -hmm. And that ground is incredibly important because you need to, any, any spike in electrical system, anything in which you have excess energy or something along those lines, you need to be able to to filter that and put that that energy into the ground. You need to basically create the circuit that connects from your electrical system in your house into the ground, which is why like if you have done anything with electricity in a house, you know that like when a house is built, they will drive a like 8-foot copper rod into the ground and that will serve as the ground for your house, so they then connect that ground rod into your electrical circuit so that all of the grounds from your outlets will then go into the ground that is into the ground. So you're literally, your house is grounded. But what has happened... And that helps too with like lightning, right? Right. So that's one of the things that like the circuitry can go so that you can basically go directly into, like it can bypass the system when there's a surge in the system. But the funny thing is, is that we recognize that houses need this, but we don't recognize that we need it. Mm-hmm. or we haven't for a very long time. And I always remember The Hand Sculpted House is a book, and it's about cob houses, and I remember the author basically says, I was a terrible person until I created, I basically lived in a cob house where I was walking on clay. What's a cob house? A cob house is, is like a adobe house. Oh, okay. Right, so I was a terrible person until I, until I walked barefoot on a cob floor every day. Because... The physical benefits of earthing, of actually not having rubber or plastic or any insulator between your feet and the ground or between any part of your body and the earth, allows the discharge of all that physical energy to basically become in harmony with the earth and the earth frequencies as they exist. So there have been numerous scientific studies. So this is not pseudoscience. This is scientific studies that have been peer-reviewed. And even the National Institute of Health, there's a number of different sources that basically shows that it improves sleep, it normalizes day-night cortisol rhythm, it reduces pain, it reduces stress, it shifts the autonomic nervous system from sympathetic towards parasympathetic activation, so in other words, towards social engagement. Because as we know, when we're in fight or flight, which is when the sympathetic nervous system comes into effect, our parasympathetic cannot activate. So basically, you're having to, when you're in fight or flight, you're having to manage on a more conscious level stuff that before was very automatic which is what the parasympathetic does because they can't actually exist at the same time for the most part sympathetic and parasympathetic can't so you need to get into parasympathetic where everything is naturally working without your intervention as much as possible it also increases your heart rate variability which is all about heart mind coherence which we're going to talk about in an upcoming prelude it speeds wound healing and it reduces blood viscosity so these are all the things and 
these studies have found that even if you're doing it for 10 minutes a day, like even if you're just walking outside barefoot for 10 minutes a day, you're seeing these benefits. I have a grounding mat on my bed that is plugged into the ground of my house. So I'm using that same copper rod that we're talking about to facilitate like the same way that my house is being grounded, my body is being grounded because I have a, I have a mat and I sleep on it eight hours a night. That's very cool. Yeah. You could think of it as the heartbeat or you could think about it as the electrical system of the earth is something that we developed as humans to be in resonance with. Mm-hmm. And by connecting with that, it's very much, it's very similar to giving the earth a hug. Like, I don't know if you guys know that if you give somebody, if your autonomic nervous system is not regulated, if you go and give somebody a physical hug and their system is regulated, it will regulate your system. Maybe that's why dogs, like owning pets, reduces blood pressure. Right. I mean, it would make a lot of sense because their system is automatically in a natural state of regulation depending on the type of dog or animal that you have. They're, we, As we would say it in other ways, the elemental is coming into the house and like the earth energy is coming into the house, right? And she's like, Mother Nature's like, hey... I'm going to help you out because mm-hmm. your house is kind of devoid of same with plants. Plants probably have some sort of thing, but some sort of effect on humans in that way. But the point being that you're basically giving the earth a hug when you're earthing mm-hmm. and it's helping you to regulate your autonomic nervous system. And, you know, one of the, just to say something quickly too, about like the resonance of the earth. I will say that there is a lot of information that's just not really making, that doesn't really make a lot of sense in terms of what is the earth's frequency. Mm -hmm. So 432 Hertz is, if you guys have heard about it, there's a, a, the a note is tuned to 440 Hertz, right? And it has been for probably the last 150 years. I'm not going to get into that story. That's a very interesting story. And there's possibly like a conspiracy behind it, but we're not going to talk about that. And everyone's like, 440 hertz is actually a very dissonant and disharmonious frequency. And actually, we should, it used to be that A was tuned to 432 hertz. Because 432 hertz is supposed to be a multiple of the earth frequency, and therefore it feels more harmonious to our ears. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. That is very interesting to listen to. There's even an app that you can change all music to actually down-tune to 432. But... What we're talking about is that, like, in theory, everything can be a multiple of everything else, right? Because the Schumann resonance, Schumann resonances, they're basically known as the global electromagnetic resonance phenomenon. It's named after a physicist called Winfried Otto Schumann, who predicted it mathematically in 1952. Schumann resonances are the principal background in the part of the electromagnetic spectrum from 3 hertz to 60 hertz. And they appear at distinct peaks at extremely low frequencies, which are called ELFs, around 7.83 hertz, which is like the fundamental one, and then uh, 14.3, and then 20.8, 27.3, and 33.8. So you can, those are what we kind of consider the frequencies of the earth in particular, particularly that 7.83 hertz. So when you're grounding to it, you're kind of grounding to that and multiples and harmonics of that original 7.83 and it doesn't really have anything to do with the 432 so you may go on youtube and be like hey 432 and it's like ground with the earth or earth you know with this frequency it's a nice frequency it's a frequency that does make you feel better but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with earthing so mm-hmm. well i want to talk about my mat my pmef mat please yes so this this story goes back like 
probably about a year. So as y'all know, I'm a physical therapist and I see total knee replacements. I've probably seen a thousand or 2000 people that, you know, in the last, what, 15 years or so yeah. recover from this. And I had this one woman and I saw her and her surgery was say on a, on a Friday and I see her on a Monday and she's not on any pain pills and she's walking around like she's totally normal, barely using a cane even. And she's, I think she was in her eighties. And usually people who are recovering from that surgery, especially in their eighties, they're using a walker they're in a lot of pain they can't really bend their knee this woman was like doing amazing and I, w- I was like what are you doing that's different like what are you eating like I just kept asking her like what is going on I told her nicely I'm like you're a freak but like in a really good way you're freakishly healing fast like what's the secret here yeah. she goes oh well I use my PMEF mat and I'm like what and she like lifts up her bed sheet and she has on her mat this mat called PMEF, which she got in Germany by this company called Beamer, Beamer PMEF. And it was like a 6000 or $5,000 mat. And she said that it's like really popular in Germany for healing. And she's had it for X amount of years and she loves it. And I kind of just tucked that in the back of my head, like, wow, this woman recovered better than anyone I know, except for a professional baseball player. And I attributed that to his high pain tolerance. I was like, she, she recovered faster than anyone I know. And he was younger, by the way. But I was like, okay, this PMEF mat looks cool, but it's $5,000 and I'll just tuck that in my head, forget about it. Well, fast forward a year, I realized that I have patients who are wear these bone stimulator vests when they've had like radiation from for cancer or they've had fractures and they wear this vest which promotes bone healing. Well, the vest itself, the bone stimulator vest is PMEF. So I was like, what? So I started researching it and basically PMEF, well, first of all, the fact that doctors in Atlanta are prescribing it made me feel like it has to have like research to back it up because insurance isn't just going to pay for like new age woo woo stuff. So it does have level one evidence to support that it is great for increasing bone density and bone healing. There's other research to show that it helps with tissue healing, tissue repair, ischemia, like cardiac function it does all these amazing things and what it is is it's basically in the case of what i bought i bought it from a company called higher dose it's a mat that you lay on or you use and it emits pulsed magnetic electrical frequency which mimics the natural vibrations of the earth's magnetic field which promote healing and it's freaking awesome so I have one. I don't have any body pain, so I just lay on mine because I know it's doing good. My daughter, when she can't sleep, sometimes we give her melatonin. Uh, we haven't given her melatonin since we bought this mat because if she's having trouble sleeping, I put her on the mat in delta mode, which delta is the sleeping cycle resonance, yep. and she falls asleep. My husband, who suffers from some joint pain, says it's 100% changed his whole life. And... Um, I started working out again pretty hard and I've been really sore and I've been laying on it after the workouts and I'll go from like an 8 out of 10 soreness to a 2 out of 10 soreness. So like I can see that it is working. It's not all in my head. So yes, there is something amazing to be said about about bringing in something that can help ground you to the earth. Yeah, I mean, the way that I've been... That I've sounded been... like a commercial for PMEF, but I really love it. Well, I, I mean, I think... To your point, I've been, it's funny because Anne and I started simultaneously researching this without knowing that we were both independently researching it. So I have all these books that I've been reading. Oh, right. Because I said I bought a PMEF mat and you're like, I'm researching PMEF mats. Yeah. I'm literally about to purchase one for my business for my in-person sessions because I want it to add to the, the, the energy healing that I do. 
right? Because, because one of the things that I know about my energy healing is that for people who are really sensitive, they can feel it on the physical, but for other people, it's harder for them to be able to sense it. So I'm like, the PMEF is actually going to help with the physical aspect of things, whereas I can work in all the other different bodies. Which one do you think you're going to buy? I think there's one from this company called MagnaWave, which is, again, these aren't, the, we're not sponsored guys. We're just like telling you in terms of the Gauss meter and the actual field that it's generating with each one, it's like a, it's quite strong and it's used particularly with pets and oh, yeah. horses I'm and things at like it. that. Yeah, like people, you can get a certification with this particular company, but it doesn't matter, any particular company, but like it's a professional grade machine because of the fact that I, the last VR7, which if you know, I've listened to the podcast, you know, the last VR7 that I've had, I've talked a, a couple of different times about this experience where I just came to this realization that like, everything is electromagnetic. And I've been getting a lot of clues about that recently because I, my, one of my dowsing teachers was like, hey, I found out that viruses, you can, you can heal and, and kind of deflect the impact of viruses by affecting the circuit that the virus creates in the body. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's one clue. So I've had lots of clue in my kind of energy healing world that says if you can affect the EM field, the bio EM field of somebody, or have a stronger field come in to kind of supplant one that may be not variable, similar to getting a hug from the earth or a hug from a person or a hug from a pet who are more in regulation, then you can actually wire, so to speak, the circuitry completely bypassing all the mental blocks that I normally encounter when I do work on people. So I'm looking at the MagnaWave website and it looks like, first of all, they're way more expensive than my mat. Yeah. And they're like tubes that you wear and they're for livestock. So they have it for they have it for a lot of different things and they also have a pad available. But yeah. So I'm looking at a couple of different companies, but that was the one that How does it, how did the higher dose one that I got compare? I haven't I haven't actually looked at it yet. Oh, okay. Cause yours doesn't actually give Gauss. Like what are the micro Tesla or the Tesla that you're actually seeing? Like the Gauss in terms of the field that it's creating. So that's the only thing. I went by third party reviews. I didn't go by like how many hertz of something it's emitting. Yeah. But the one I have is different because it also has 20 pounds of crystals in it and clay and far infrared. So it does like a lot of things. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to look at yours, but I haven't done that yet. So anyway, that is some information on grounding tech. I do want to say actually real quickly, I think that there are a lot of things that can provide grounding tech. You can have certain crystals that can help to affect your EM field, especially if they are magnetic, because magnets that come from the earth, like hematite or something like that, can have its own beneficial effect. It's not obviously the same as literally having a copper wire that's connected to something. It is very beneficial if you would like to increase your earthing practices to either get a mat that connects directly to the earth through the outlets in your house or or anything kind of along the lines of that kind of earthing tech or the simple and easy and cheap thing which is just to walk outside barefoot. in your barefoot bare feet as much as possible my husband has he basically has a version of a moccasin that he wears all the time because he doesn't want rubber like only when he's like in the pig pen does he wear like actual boots Okay. Like he's wearing basically leather bottomed with like leather and like some sort of wool like as padding. He's very grounded, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what he does because he doesn't want to. So I should get my gardening it. shoes to be moccasins. Yeah, exactly. I just bought freaking rubber shoes for my garden. I should return them before they get here. Yeah. 
and get some grounding ones and use it as your grounding, your earthing practice, right? I'm seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's also, I noticed that in the, in the time when I'm the most dysregulated, that's the time when I want to wear big rubber boots and go into the garden. Like I don't want to get messy and muddy and cold when I'm dysregulated, when it's actually the thing that I really need. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Sacred places. Sacred places. So today what we're talking about are sacred places. So I'm going to talk first about the holiest places on earth according to religions. And then I'm going to talk about three holy places that I've experienced personally and like what I feel and think about them. And then I want to talk about the Nazca lines of Peru because I think that's a really cool story. Sweet. All right, so going into the holiest places in the world according to religions. So first of all, let's just revisit the the definition of an egregore. An egregore is something that becomes real because enough people believe in it. Like Santa Claus is an egregore. Like when my kids ask, Mom, is Santa Claus real? I say, well, I don't believe in him, but he is an egregore, so he probably is real now. Like, you know, it's like these statues that weep blood. Like if enough people believe, it becomes real because that collective unconscious is so strong, can actually create some physical ramifications, I believe, but then also maybe there is something special and sacred about certain places, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first place on this religious list is the Arch Basilica of St. John Lateran in Rome, and this is the holiest place for Catholics. A lot of people think it's St. Peter's Basilica, but it's actually not because this is the one where a lot of the popes are, popes' papal tombs are. Then we have the Western Wall in Jerusalem. This is for Judaism. And this is the Wailing Wall. It is a large open plaza on the top of the Temple Mount. It's dominated by the dome rock of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So when you go there, it's like the, the, the wall is down here. It's a remnant of the temple. And then above it is a mosque. So it's like holy to Islam and then also on the bottom, Jews. And then when you go to the Wailing Wall, they have different areas. Like you have the men on one side and the women on the other. And I think that there's like a co-ed part too. And you can write your prayers. Have you ever been there? I haven't, no. Oh. Yeah. You write your prayers on like a little piece of paper and you stick them in the wall and it's like the idea is that like God will hear or see your prayer in there. The next, the third thing on the list is the Great Mosque of Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, and that's the the most important or the holiest place for Islam. And as many people know, Muslims pray five times per day facing Mecca because inside of Mecca is this cube-like structure inside the mosque called the Kaaba. And you've seen it, right? It's black. Yes. And that black is that it's covered most of the year with enormous cloth, black brocade called the kiswa. And I didn't know this, but you're if you're not Muslim, you're not allowed in that area. Yeah. And there's like penalties if you are. So I was like, what is inside the Kaaba? What's inside that thing? Um, and it used to, in pre-Islamic times, the Kaaba was used to house pagan idols worshipped by local tribes, but Muslims do not worship it. It just represents the metaphorical house of God and the oneness of God in Islam. That so. makes that makes a lot of sense because I feel like Islam is is wonderful in their understanding of not using idolatry as a form of worship. Mm-hmm. Right? They're very very specific that no go- no god is held above God. Right? Mm-hmm. So and they recognize that wealth and time and all these other things that and status can all be representative of idols that are that can be placed above god in the 3d so to speak and so the fact that they're like hey this is just the place that represents god and this is not by any means a a place that you're supposed to worship 
the space. Like the, it's not about worshiping the space. It's about what it represents. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. Inside are just the pillars that are holding up the roof and some gold lamps and stuff. Right. And so for those who are able to make the great pilgrimage to Mecca, it's a lifetime experience because they're able to, to go there and they circumambulate it, which is an interesting practice in many sacred spaces. I don't know if Islam, do you know if, do you know if Judaism or Christianity do? I know obviously Buddhism and Islam, they circumambulate a lot. They like, yeah. I, well, I know when you get married in Judaism, you, the bride circles her husband seven times. There's something about that. Eh? Yeah. Something. So anyways, the next place on the list is for the Baha'is. And the Baha'i religion was founded in the 19th century, and it teaches the essential worth of all religions and the the unity of all people. And their most sacred place is the shrine of, I'm going to say it wrong, shrine of Baha'u'llah, and it's in Israel. And then similar to Muslims who pray towards the Kaaba, the Baha'i faithful face the shrine of the, they face the shrine of Bahu'u'llah when they engage in prayer. I what are the Baha'i? I don't even know what they are. You never heard of them? No. Oh, they're, it's a religion. It, they speak Persian, Arabic, and English. And it's very, like, I want to say it's very, it's very similar to, what do you call that? Inclusionists. Universalists. The, the main purpose of Baha'i is to know and love God. They do prayer, fasting, meditation. They have three obligatory rituals, which is a daily prayer, reciting the prayer for the dead at a funeral, and a marriage rite. And then they really believe in the inclusion of all religions. Like, they're not, they're very, like... That's amazing. Yeah, they're kind of like the hippies of the 19th century. That's really cool. So they don't have a holy book that they like, like this is the holy book. And this uh, is the you're holy asking way. a little bit too much. Okay. Right okay, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't prepare <laughs> that. I'm going to go depth. research that on my own. And if anybody else is interested, they can go research it on their own too. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep sorry. Going. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it's a place where Jesus was crucified in the tomb where he was buried and resurrected. And then side note is there is a belief in Kashmir. They have a similar, they have a temple in Kashmir of this Middle Eastern saint that like came there from Israel with holes in his hands and feet and he's buried in Kashmir, India. So like other people are saying, well, no, Jesus actually didn't die there. He went to India after his crucifix story and all that. Right. Well, that would make sense. he's buried up there. That would make sense because the tomb where he was buried and resurrected, he didn't end up. He left. The idea is that he left or everyone, they don't really say what happened to him. They just say that he like, Oh, like... you're right. I guess his body isn't supposed to be here. It just says the tomb where he was buried and resurrected. Exactly. Right. So there's there's theories that he went to India. There's also theories that he went to India before. Yes. Yeah, so he went back after he was crucified. Right. I think it's because that was a, that's the story that I've heard too. Right. In terms of like, is that Jesus went to India, or like you said, in Kashmir, during the missing parts of the Bible, Afghanistan, he, he went yeah. and studied with masters and came back. Right. And then that Mary Magdalene, I've followed more of them. Like Mary Magdalene went to Britain. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and obviously Mother Mary went to Turkey. She went to FS. But anyway, interesting. Cool. Okay. The next one is the Kashi Vishwanath Temple in Varanasi, India. We've talked about that a lot because that's where the Ganges travel through and Varanasi has the highest rate of all, like hospice, because in, Hindus want to die there because if you die and are buried, or not buried, thrown in the Ganges River. It's like a shortcut to Nirvana. Do you, I have been to Varanasi, and I like don't know if I've been to 
this space? Have you been to this? Yes. What, is it like inland You've or is seen it on it. the river? It's, let me show you. If you see the picture, you're going to be like, let me just show you a picture. Okay. Because I definitely remember the Shiva temple, which I don't know if it's this temple. This Shiva temple was where they were doing a lot of the, yeah. Okay. Okay. I totally know. Yeah. It's like the main part of the town, I feel like. Yeah. On the river at one of the ghats, they had the Shiva temple, which is where they were, they were doing a lot of the funeral pyres. Uh-huh. And they, and they had... have the everlasting fire there. They have the everlasting fire and they also have the hospice and they do the Ayurveda. They, they know within 10 minutes when you're going to die because they take your pulse and they know within 10 minutes when you're going to die and they take you out to the river and they put your feet in the river. And then they have these like special, they have these special pads that allow you to put your feet in the river and they have milk coming out onto your head so you can die like in the most perfect ideal space. Wow. And then they also sell wood near that area that when you burn the wood with the burning body, it doesn't smell like flesh. Cause like you'll walk along the Ganges and you'll see like 10, 20 bodies burning and it doesn't smell bad. Yeah. There's a special yeah. wood. It's so crazy. I've been there and I believe that yes, it is one of the holiest places. I've been to, I've been to actually like five or six of the things on this list and Varanasi to me stands out as like, so like freaking punch you in the face. I, I would agree. Spiritual experience. I would agree. Yeah. Yep. All right. We have the Golden Temple. This is in Amritsar, India. This is Sikhism. Sikhism, people might not be that familiar with Sikhs. They're the ones who wear the turbans. Yes. Like, like, and the men aren't allowed to cut their hair, so their hair is all up in there. And, you know, during 9-11, people were being really racist against Sikhs because they just assumed that they were Arab terrorists during this, like, very xenophobic time in our country's history, and they would do a lot of violence against them, like burn down their stores and this and that. And the irony of it is they are one of the most loving and peaceful religions of all the religions. Like they're like the most peaceful. I, yeah, they're such a loving religion. I went I went to the Golden Temple and have you been there? Mm-mm. And I, they have free housing and free meals for basically anyone who goes up there. So I stayed in one of like the dorms there in the temple yeah in the temple complex like okay. it's a very big and you the temple complex looks almost very similar to what you would imagine mecca would but in the center of this massive pond there's this beautiful golden temple and you can walk into it anybody can walk into it but surrounding it is this massive temple complex full of all these dorms and there's this massive cafeteria and they are just constantly feeding people free meals all the time it's incredible wow. like you can donate obviously but like yeah well, they, they um, advocate equality, social justice, service to humanity, tolerance for other religion. They, they are, they're like the bhakti, like they, they serve God. They're all about serving God and practicing ideals of honesty, compassion, humility, and generosity. I saw like a TikTok where someone was in a car accident or something and a Sikh man ran out and he had to take off his hair turban in order to create a... Like a tourniquet or something? A tourniquet on, on like a child or something who is like going to bleed out. And someone says, but you removed your head headscarf. Like you're not supposed to do that. That's like against your religion. And he was like, saving this life is more important than my religion. It was like or really it's beautiful. totally in line with his religion. Which right? is totally in yeah. line with the religion. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just like a really, it's, if, if you're interested, like really research that religion. It's very beautiful. Okay. The next one is the Icy Grand Shrine in Icy Japan. This is for Shoism. It's considered by many as the faith's most significant location. It's dedicated to the sun goddess, Amaterasu. It features a wooden frame designed characters of the Shinto architecture. 
And then the last one, which you and I know we've both been there, is yeah. Mahabodhi Temple in Bodh Gaya, India. So in Bodh Gaya, near the banks of the Falgu River, is one of the places where it's considered that Buddha was enlightened underneath this Bodhi tree. And this is a, a descendant of that tree. I don't know how they kept that in touch, but... The tree there is actually a descendant of the original tree that... Yes. And you can buy leaves. Yes. You can buy leaves on the street there. And it's considered a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And when you go, there's all sorts of different kinds of monks meditating. You can go just meditate under the tree. And then there's some monks that... They're doing like, it almost looks like, what do you call that when, you, when you're working out? Burpees? Oh, they're doing kowtows, yeah. Kowtows. Yeah. So you'll see them like doing, essentially it looks like a burpee, but it's a special kind of, of... Prostration that particular in Tibetan Buddhism that they that they do a lot. That's when, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, like when I was in Tibet and Lhasa, like there it was like a major pilgrimage time to this one temple that was in the middle of Lhasa. And there were just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people circumambulating and doing kowtows, mm-hmm. like, like 108 out of 108 kowtows, like, you know, 108 times 108 or something like that. Like it was so, so many because that was part of their, that was like the end of their pilgrimage. Like they may have walked all the way there just to be able to do all these, these prostrations in front of this temple. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So, and all right. that was a place. And also that we're talking about now that the yellow hat sect of Buddhism was there when I was there. And so they were doing, all the monks were doing the throat singing underneath the temple when I was there. And it was like the most incredible. Oh yeah. They're taught to use a second set of vocal cords that we don't use in our normal speech. Yeah. It's like, I can't even do it. Of course I can't do it. You need years of training to be able to do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, it's a, but but it's supposed to, that sound is supposed to, again, we're talking about going back to the beginning. We're talking about the song and about the collective unconscious. Like that sound pulls a resonance because sound is pressure and pressure affects electromagnetic fields. Right. Yeah. Now I'm going to talk about three different places that I've been that I feel are like extremely strong in terms of sacred spaces. The first one is this temple in Kajaraho where they have a huge shivalingam, which is like a phallic symbol that they, they bang on it and it rings like a bell. And I went there and I had like a full Kundalini opening experience where I just started like collapsing into like laughter and tears and laughter and orgasmic pleasure for hours. I've never had that happen before. And what was really interesting was like, and I talk about it in greater detail in another episode, but what was interesting is the next day I was walking around the town and some people came up to me and they're like, we saw you last night at the temple having like this experience. And I was kind of like shy about it. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you must be a great Shiva worshiper. And I'm like, no. And they're like, that's the first time it's happened to a Westerner. It always happens to someone like once a month that happens to someone at that temple. So it's like, they know that that temple is activating Kundalini so much that like once a month, someone has the experience I had and I went in there completely blind, you know, so there's no like placebo. I didn't even know where I was going and it happened to me. So I'm like convinced that place is super, super holy for some reason. So, so can I ask you this question in the context of that? When you say super holy, do you think that, do you think that the veil between the unseen and like the higher realms, if you want to call it, and the earth is, is, is thinner there? Or do you think that the resonance of people who have had that experience remains and anybody who's sensitive enough to pick it up. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of Shakti there and anyone who's sensitive enough to pick it up 
or is just ready for it gets primed and then there's a little boy who runs around like a little beggar boy Mm -hmm. and he clearly had developmental delays i don't know what his issue was he didn't have cerebral palsy but he definitely had developmental delays and he's running around laughing like giggling laughing the whole time and when i was having my experience he ran up to me started screaming with laughter and hugging me and i think that he is the incarnation of someone and he's running around doing that that's amazing. I don't think you've ever told me that about the little boy before. Yeah, wow. no, I didn't. Yeah. So I think he has something to do with it. All right. The next two places I'm talking about are in New Mexico. So Chimayo is this church in New Mexico. And I took my husband there and he was like, what is this place? Because he felt the Shakti when you walk, when you walk in, it was similar to that temple in India. You walk in and you're just like, boom, like engulfed in this feeling of Shakti, of mm-hmm. energy. And as you walk through the church, there's crutches and wheelchairs and all sorts of things because it's healed all these people and they've left their crutches behind or they left their whatever behind. And then there's like a wall and people have pinned photographs of like, they're in English and in Spanish and it's like, thank you so much. Like, because I came here, I suffered infertility and I finally gave birth. There's a picture of a baby. And then there's like, you know, there's pictures all over the wall of miracles that have occurred in this church. And then in the back of the church is the holy dirt. So there's this holy dirt in this temple and they, they must refill it because there's no way it's like they, from the, from the area. So in the back of the church, there's like a part of the church where there's no floor. It's just dirt because it's adobe, but the floor is, is full of dirt and it's holy dirt. And that's the dirt like responsible for the miracle. So when you go, you know, there was funny cause like, I, you know, you go and I take the dirt and I ate it. And Eric's like, my husband, you know, he's like, what do I do? What do I do? I was like, eat the dirt, eat the dirt, you know? <laughs> so he like, I, he ate some dirt, you know? It's like you go there to get this holy dirt and yes, you do eat it and or you put it on your body. Like if you're, you need healing of some place, you can rub it on your body. But it's special, special holy dirt. And I'll tell the story of it. So why it's special. I want to hear. Yes. Okay. All right. This is the story. Okay, so long before the Spaniards arrived to this region of the United States, this area was considered healing by the Pueblo Indians. They said healing spirits inhabited the region. So it's, it's quote-unquote fame spread in the year 1810 when a local man saw light springing from one of the hills. And he went over there and he found in the earth a crucifix bearing a dark-skinned Jesus. You've heard of the Virgin of Guadalupe where, where a Mexican-looking woman in speaking Spanish, appear to someone in Guadalupe. And there's other stories of like Jesus appearing in other forms, but basically a dark-skinned Jesus showed up on this cross and the local villagers paid homage to the relic. They took it to a church in nearby Santa Cruz. And then mysteriously during the night, the cross went right back to where it had been originally. This <laughs> happened two story. more times. So it's then like they the decided, <laughs> then they decided, okay, there's something important about this location. And it became intertwined with earlier indigenous beliefs that this is the area where the earth, when the hot springs dried up, it had healing power. So they decided to build the church there. That's so cool. That's just like the necklace. That's just like the necklace, right? The necklace returned when it was, when it was like needed, it returned to the place it needed to go in order to get back in order to convey a message. Yeah. Now thousands of people make their way to Chimayo every year coming from places around the world, especially during Holy Week. It's pretty, it's no, if you're ever going to Santa Fe, you can, you can get there. It's just an hour or two north of Santa Fe. And, but yeah, basically there is this church in Northern New Mexico with Holy Dirt that is said to contain miracles. That's amazing. 
All right, so the last story I'm gonna tell is the story that is actually in the Santa Fe, in Santa Fe itself, which is the Loretto Chapel. Have you heard of this staircase? I, I saw it on TikTok and I was like, Anna! And you were like, yeah, that was across the street from where I got married. And yeah. I was like, what? I wish I had known, I totally would have Oh known. yeah, <laughs> we got married across the street from the Loretto Chapel and this is a beautiful story of a miracle. So the Loretto Chapel was completed in 1878, but there was no way to get to the top floor, which was 20 feet above, it was the choir loft, right? And there was yeah. no way to get up there. Carpenters were called to address the problem, but they concluded that the loft would have to be via a ladder because a staircase would interfere in the interior space of this very small chapel. So they had a lot of problems with money. They had a lot of problems with the architecture. They couldn't figure it out. So the sisters of the chapel decided that they were going to pray to St. Joseph, the patron saint of carpenters. On the ninth day of their prayer, a man appeared at the chapel with a donkey and a toolbox looking for work. He offered to make a staircase, okay? Months later, he created an elegant circular staircase. I'm getting chills just telling the story. And then he disappeared without any payment or without any thanks. They searched high and low for this man in the local newspaper. They were never able to find him. So this is what is crazy about the structure. It was innovative for that time. The staircase has two 360-degree turns and no visible means of support. It's as if the staircase was built without nails, only wooden pegs. There's something about, there's questions that surround the number of stair rises relative to the height of the choir loft. Because there's something about the fact that, like, the individual sum of its parts doesn't equal, like, it should be higher than it actually is. If you if you were to, like, like in the sense of, like, the actual height of the risers when you individually measure them, like, don't mathematically reach the, the higher, the, quite, the, the height of the choir loft. Yeah. It, anyways, people people consider it to be a miracle because it just doesn't make sense, like how it was built, this and that. Yeah. All right. Then the last thing I want to talk about for holy places is just kind of cool. It's the Nazca lines. Have you heard of the Nazca lines? I have. So in Peru, there's these beautiful lines that when you're on earth, there's no way you can really see it. But when you go up in an airplane and you look down, it's like these sketches in the earth. They're thousands of years old. So they were between 500 BCE, in 500 before Christ and 500 after Christ. These lines were written in the earth, right? From the Nazca people, the indigenous tribes of Peru. But you can't see them from earth. You have to be up in an airplane to see them. And some people were saying that they are offerings to the gods they're, or they're, they're proof of communication with aliens. And that like it's almost impossible that anyone on earth could draw these lines with such beautiful accuracy. And then there was this documentary about a woman who lost her vision and she had all her life wanted to know how these Nazca lines were built. And when she lost her vision, she finally figured it out. Astral travel. Oh, interesting. So this one, this is just a theory. So this, I don't know, but the idea is that the Nazca people had figured out how to astral travel to leave their bodies and float above so they can look down. And that's how they were built. That's so interesting. What are they actually made out of? Rocks? They're giant geoglyphs, designs are motifed, etched into the ground. So they're just basically etched in there. Yeah. It's in, in, in they're considered a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site also, and they're a mystery to researchers because they don't understand exactly how they did them, and they're finding new ones. And some of the images include spiders, hummingbird, cactus, monkey, whale, llama, duck, tree, lizard. And they even have a humanoid figure that we've nicknamed the astronaut. 
So, you know, maybe there are some alien stuff going on. (laughs) So maybe it's aliens, maybe it's astral travel, but that's just a beautiful holy spot that's a mystery. And I love mysteries, so. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. So that's it. And then if you're interested in seeing photos of the Nazca Lines or the Loretta Chapel staircase, check out our show notes. I'll have some pictures there. That makes sense. And then I just wanted to add something about creating sacred space yes please we're going to talk more in the medicine of place because if you want to make the distinction between sacred places and the medicine of place sacred places are places that have a lot of history in them they have and which we're going to kind of talk about in the medicine of place but they're talking about places as they stand alone the medicine of place is about how places affect you and act as medicine in your life right Mm, okay and so but you know to say something more about creating sacred space you know like i can use my property as a really great example the muskogee and the okmogee lived on the land that i have and so it's been really really important for me to recognize the sacredness of the land as it sits here now right in the sense of i've taken quite some time to not impose my ideas and visions onto the land, but to actually listen to the land and what it's offering to me, right? In the sense of not offering to me, that's the wrong way of saying it. What it is, it has to, what it has, it, it's not even, it's not even offer because I feel like that's very colonizer. I'm trying to say like just what's present, what sacredness is present on the land. So there's one area that we call grandma turtle on my land that we recognize is that I that I know is a sacred spot. It's a sacred spot for anyone who's come here. It's it's down at the corner of the lake and this this boulder that's probably like 15 feet high by 15, it's by 15 by 15 boulder right on the edge of the lake that we have. And I go and sit there sometimes and it's just like, it's a place of visioning. It's a place of like seeing a future that you wanna see and pulling it into the land. You know, the other half of the lake, on the other side of the lake that we have, it's full of quartz. So it's an amplifier, like it's an amplifier of energy and it's like pulling, it's, it's basically a transmitter place. I've lived here for two and a half years and I am still trying to figure out what is on the land and to listen to it and to respect what has gone on here before and to, and to not try and superimpose, like what I create here is important for adding to the sacredness of the land. But at the same time, it's like really important that we also recognize what's come here before because indigenous people believed that the sacredness of a land was not necessarily only its geological or it's like physical characteristics, but what had happened there before right it's all about the events that had taken place and when you have a history of oral tradition you're able to capture those things but you know and and be able to carry them on and say this is what happened here and this is what happened here we've lost that a lot other than historical markers in america if you want to say that but you know that's it's just it doesn't really do the justice and it's very obviously whitewashed and colonizer washed when you do it like for instance, in my town, the Okmogee Treaty, there's like this story about how the native people from the Okmogee created a treaty, which was one of the most advanced treaties at the time in terms of like, in terms of like actually keeping their land and keeping everything. And when the government wanted to try and take Florida, they sent a militia down to try and basically take Florida from the Floridians, from the Spanish at the time. And what happened was that they went down there, they got immediately repulsed, and so they ended up in my town. And then the militia decided that it wanted to create an independent state. So it was the first person that broke the Okmogi Treaty, right? Who was the first person? This militia. Oh. This militia basically decided that they wanted to create their own nation state in the middle of Okmogi territory. 
in the in the middle of the space that the Okmogi tree had actually been like was protected. So the point being that sacredness is what has happened in a space. So using that understanding, in order to create sacred spaces in your own in your own house, it's really important to we can go back to the feng shui thing of understanding the flow of chi and understanding where chi feels good, and also trying to if you have the privilege of having enough space to basically say like this is my meditation space. Your practice of meditation in a space is going to add to the sacredness of that space, right? And if you're able to keep a space that's just for meditation, then you're going to, and not necessarily quote unquote dilute it with other types of chi and other types of energy in that space, then you're able to create a sacredness in that space, which will make it easier for you to, again, like I was asking you that question about the temple, was it because the veil was thinner there or was it because other people had gone to that space so many times and had this Kriya experience that made it so that it was easier for anybody else to go into that experience, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's the same thing with creating sacred space. You want to charge an area with an intention. And, and if you can, if you have that privilege of your space to not necessarily dilute it with other energy or just simply say, I'm going to be contributing. Like if, if you can't, like if you have to do it, if you meditate on your bed, like just say I'm going to shift it's like almost like shifting it into a different space and being like this is now my meditation space so I want to pull forward you know kind of use a collapsible space to be able to like say now I'm going to put my experience of meditation into this bed and not um, sleeping or coupling or any of those other things so it's about having intention in a space and recognizing that you can charge a space with a certain intention and a certain experience in order to make it sacred. And then obviously you can kind of think about chi as well as other practices for cleansing a space, but that's kind of what I wanted to say for that. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. Hello everyone. We're getting ready to revisit the primal wounds and we have heard so many beautiful stories from you and email and in all different formats and we are wanting to put a call out for anyone who would like to be interviewed on the podcast it may seem scary but i promise that anna and i are not intimidating and we would love to hear from you and hear your stories send them to this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com thanks and remember humility gratitude acceptance done Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.